this is part two of uh, my sit down time with uh, Brian Mangan. And so if you haven't seen part one, uh, we cover some basic uh, developments in the United Methodist Church and the worldwide church and the American church. I, of course, think it's very interesting. If you'd like to stay informed on those things, I'd urge you to find part one of, I think this is episode five. Um, anyway, the, the portion, part two, is focused on the person that I've got with me. I, I always do a personal interview because um, my life is the only life I've lived, and I learn by learning about other people. And so that's kind of the, the classical model of how individuals grow uh, is by going outside of ourselves and seeking wisdom from others and then ingesting them for ourselves. Um, so anyway, if you enjoy learning about other people, especially in light of the Christian faith, then uh, this should be a benefit to you. And the, the type of people I like focusing on are uh, just the normal pastors that are often unappreciated and unexamined. Um, and so, uh, I, I mean, no insult to you when I say you're exactly what the doctor ordered in that way, um, because I think in many ways you totally fit a, a stereotype of what is imagined in a, a mid-America small-town pastor um, how your church? I don't know much about your church. Is it a small church? Um, it 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 depends on how you want to define small. I mean, uh, well, how do you I, want I, to yeah. define small? Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, we're still larger than probably uh, uh, two thirds of United Methodist churches. Okay. Yeah. I so mean, you're over a hundred. Yeah, uh, we're we're running in the seventies in worship right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. But uh, I mean, it's a historic church in Midtown Tulsa. Right. It's a yeah. city church. Yeah. But it's it's also no. not a mega church. No, so. no. I mean, it, it's a church that has had, uh, you know, at one time in its history, it was in the top ten in attendance in the Oklahoma Conference. Oh, but, really? Wow. Yeah, averaging over five hundred in worship. Okay. Uh, but uh, that was thirty-five years ago now. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's when this uh, church was its biggest uh, yeah. under under uh, a very. Mm -hmm. Charismatic leader, they got up to 150. Actually, probably back in the day in the 1930s and 40s, yeah. it was bigger than that. But in, in recent memory, it was the yeah. 1990s that whew, yeah. they were bursting at the seams. So. Well, you know, uh, Will Rogers has had a couple of history moments where, um, you know, it started in 1943 in the middle of the war, and, you know, that brought some challenges. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but then, uh, you know, within 15 years, they had built the the three main buildings of the planned campus at the time, mm -hmm. and, and the last one being the sanctuary, and had already reached a membership of about 1,500 within 15 years. Oh, my. And, uh, and then um, in, the, in the 70s into the 80s, um, uh, Guy Ames uh, 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 was the pastor there, the, the father of the Guy Ames that most people know. <laughs> oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I knew the yeah, name. Okay, yeah, yeah. so he named his son Guy yeah, as well. Yeah, okay. and uh, I can't remember if if, if it's a, the Guy Ames that most of us are familiar with, if he's the third or if, I think he's I think he's the third. And, really? And okay. His dad was the second, yeah. Uh, and he was a pastor, and, and, and the church had some significant growth there. One of the things that I found in common by those two points of growth in the church is there were times when the when the pastors um, empowered the laity for evangelism. Mm -hmm. They uh, in in the 1950s they would meet. I was the stories I read was that they would meet on Wednesday nights. They would have prayer in the sanctuary, and then uh, the membership would go into the neighborhoods and go yeah. knock on doors and 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 share share their faith and pray with 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 
the members in the community. And, and then in the 70s and into the early 80s under Guy Ames, it was evangelism explosion, which, you know, trained the laity to go into the neighborhoods and share, share their faith. And there's still very active people in, in the church today that say it was, it was so-and-so coming to my door and, and sharing the, their faith really? and, not, and praying with me is the reason I'm a member, I'm a Christian and a member of the Will Rogers Church today. So, so that's one of the things that I'm actually, you know, I said what I mentioned in, in our part one about yeah. different momentums and losing yeah. momentums. That's been something I've been trying to, to regain and, and actually my doctorate of ministry, um, uh, project, which I hope to do finally in February, mm-hmm. it will be a, uh, a training program in evangelism that will, that I'm creating that will combine um, uh, that idea of us going out into the community, bringing the story of Jesus to, to, to the, our neighbors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, a recent... Uh, Are you doing your DMN through Asbury? I'm doing it through United Theological Seminary. Okay. Uh, in Dayton, Ohio. Okay. Uh, okay. That's the reason why I know Dr. Watson. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, great. He's the dean there. But uh uh um and and uh, I'm a Randy Clark scholar too, so this puts in Randy Clark is a is the leader of a global um organization called Global Awakening that has a, a strong um emphasis on on the work and power of the Holy Spirit to, to bring yeah. the gospel. We talked about yeah. things that we need to make sure yeah. we cover in this portion, and, yeah. and we need to talk about adoption because yeah. that's been yeah. a big part, and we need to talk about your charismatic yeah. faith yeah. and heritage. Yeah. But before we get to either of those yeah. things, I'm just kind of curious, and and you don't have to be mm-hmm. vulnerable in this way if you don't want to, but I kind of like doing that psychoanalytic thing on okay. people just figuring out uh, where where's the, the lodestone, the, the originating point that set you on the path of ministry that um that gave you the passion and set you in the direction that and ministry is a big yeah, thing you yeah. could have gone a lot of different yeah. directions in ministry why did you end up going in these directions well um that that is my i have to go back to copan oklahoma where i grew up northwest of here yeah, north, you can get north, there in 20 minutes yeah, from here i think in fact it was just north of bartlesville yeah yeah and uh um i uh you know we we moved into that community when I was about four, before I started kindergarten, and I didn't leave that community until I graduated high school there. So I like you know K through twelfth grade. Very cool. Yeah. In the Copan. And back school, then, yeah. I mean, now it's yeah. a thousand people there, don't you think? Uh, it was maybe nine hundred back then. Wow. <laughs> okay. Mean, yeah. It's always been a yeah, tiny town. Yeah, yeah. It's always been a tiny town. But um, in, in the eighties, uh, I can't remember the exact dates. Um, we uh, we got a pastor assigned to the Copan United Methodist Church that um, tapped into the, the, the charismatic leanings of some of the laity in that church. And when you... Define charismatic yeah. for... Well, I mean, what, charismatic in the traditional sense is, is, is mainline Christians who want the, the experience of the Holy Spirit that is often evidenced in, in gifts of the Spirit, such as healing, speaking in tongues... Um, and 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 those those kind of okay. First Corinthians twelve, I guess. So there yeah. were laity yeah. in the Copan Methodist yeah. Church that were open and interested yeah. in experiencing yeah. the spiritual yeah. gifting of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in fact, the pastor that came, his name was John Durr. He recently passed in the last eighteen months or so. But uh, um, the story I remember hearing is John came from Houston, Texas, and there's a whole story there about 
how the bishop of Oklahoma was a friend of his and was kind of doing him a favor by bringing him back into the United Methodist Church. He had left the church and started an independent congregation in Houston and now was feeling the call to come back into the United Methodist Church. Huh. And, and the current bishop we had at the time was, was someone who knew John. And, but the only appointment, according, you know, that I've heard was, was the Copan Church. And so imagine coming from Houston, Texas, flying into Tulsa, driving up Highway 75 when it was just two lanes, and getting a hotel in Bartlesville, and then at midnight driving into Copan to see what it, you know, and then realizing, you know, this is a mistake, I'm not coming here. And and yet you can't tell the bishop uh, that, that because, you know, that would not, that would ruin any future appointment, sure, right? Yeah. So, so, he, so he came up with a plan that he thought was sure to get him fired by the church before he even got appointed there. So, so when they had the meeting with the district superintendent and the, the, the laity of the church, at one point, you know, the story I heard was John said, uh, well, you need to know this about me. I, I, uh, I, uh, I pray in tongues and I pray for healing. And he thought that would get him, you know. Canned. Canned, yeah. And there's a silence that fall over the laity of the church, and they kind of look at each other, and there's a smile that comes across one of their faces and that said, praise the Lord, you're the pastor we've been praying for. <laughs> You know, and so John comes to Copan. Okay, and that becomes the beginning of an eight-year revival there. The eight years that John was the pastor there, the Copan Church went from I don't know thirty-five, forty people in attendance to over two hundred in attendance. I mean, I remember you know we had to have we had two full worship services on Sunday mornings. Um, the uh, the board voted. Uh, when was the last time the administrative board voted that the official ending time of a worship service would be the beginning of the next service? Because, you know, John would always seem to run out of time in his preaching. And, and, uh, and so they just said, oh, we don't have an ending time. And, and uh, you know, some of my most formative experiences occurred, actually not necessarily in the worship time, but one of the other things that John did was every weekday morning at six o'clock there was he was in the sanctuary for prayer and invited the church to join him it's every every single morning you monday said? through friday every okay. weekday morning yeah yeah he, he was there at 6 a.m 6 a.m he was married yes he had kids um semi-adult his youngest was uh was close to my age just a little bit younger than me and so you were a teenage, i was a teenager oh, you were a teenager yeah. when he moved there yeah okay or early early teens tween. yeah okay. tweens yeah i mean um, he left after I graduated, so yeah. So okay, he was there eight yeah. years, and yeah. So and so yeah, logistically, but, yeah, I just man, yeah. if I was trying to get in the sanctuary at six a.m. every morning, and and okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he didn't have young kids that he had, you know. The, okay. <laughs> uh, and the parsonage at that time was practically across the street from the high school, so his daughter could walk, I guess, to school. Oh know? sure, yeah. But uh, but anyway, uh, so that that prayer time would be maybe three people and sometimes 25 people and you know every day people were showing up yeah yeah wow. and my 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 commitment to you know I made a personal commitment to to Christ at around age 13 I was at a day spring camp and uh, uh had you been camp. baptized as a child uh, I was baptized as an infant in the Roman Catholic Church okay yeah and, and then did you have a believer's baptism when you came on board with the Methodists? Oh, no, because okay. my baptism is, is good. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, this is one of yeah, the accusations yeah, yeah, that, that yeah. liberals often throw yeah. at charismatics is, yeah. oh, oh, they're no. going to rebaptize uh, everybody. I've only had one baptism. Very and, good. Well, yeah, one baptism with water. Is, but <laughs> I hear you. Oh, yeah, because baptism <laughs> yeah. with the Holy Spirit yeah, is, yeah. okay. Yeah, I guess if you want to put it that way. But, uh, 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 
but yeah, so you know, I was around thirteen. Day Spring Camp, Camp Egan. I could, you know, the old. So Lodge. Day Spring was the evangelical yeah. answer to the yeah. district camps becoming too enthralled with the left, as you I've know, understood it. I think that's too. Actually, I think that's too simplistic. Really, <laughs> I think I think Day Spring came out of if you the history of Day Spring actually comes out of the. Uh, um, um, lay witness movement, okay. the lay witness missions of the 70s, which were somewhat, were, were charismatic in, in many regards. Uh, and and it just, be, you know, those who had had that experience. And the reason to, that charismatic you know, is at odds yeah. with liberalism is because liberalism is very much associated with materialism, yeah. uh, what is observable, quantifiable. Yeah. It's, it's, it doesn't accept yeah. miracles generally. Well, and I, so char- charismatic yeah, Christianity yeah. is all about the miracles. Well, actually, I'll be honest with you. Some of the persons that I've had the most conflict with has actually been theological conservatives, sure. who were who were. But conservative yeah, is not always yeah, charismatic. Yeah. No, no. Okay. But but uh, and, and you know the cons- there are conservatives who are cessationists that just believe those gifts yes, died those with gifts the apostles. Ceased, yeah. And then there are conservatives that are 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 functioning cessationists. They won't. They don't. They haven't either thought about it or studied it or. You know, they will say that, you know, for instance, they'll say that God heals today, but they won't pray a prayer of expectation for healing. Okay. You know, so, so to me, that's just, a, that's a, that's a functional cessation. Sure. Okay. I hear you. But, uh, but, you know, as, as. But Day Spring is people yeah, that, yeah. that pretty much uniformly yeah. were charismatic in their outlook, expected yeah. for the Holy Spirit to do powerful things. Yeah. And so it, 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 I would say Day Spring is more of an evangelical camp than a charismatic camp. In my oh okay. In my you know, um, I mean, yeah, because because Copan always felt like it was so different from everything else that I saw in the United Methodist Church sure. when I was in high school, and you know it was in the those morning times when you know I would hear people. Uh, in fact, I just told this story to a layperson in my church today. Uh, you know, you'd hear, we'd gather around in prayer, and you'd hear people praying in, in tongues quietly. Uh, I myself didn't have that experience yet, and and uh, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a pressure thing. You know, it was okay. And and this one morning, um, this this woman named Leslie, she she did something that was kind of was very unusual for her. She you know, I mean, at, I think with high heels on, she might have reached five three. You know, kind of a small petite woman, uh, and. Uh, she was also kind of reserved and maybe a little shy. And this morning, she took a step into the prayer circle and began to very boldly, out loud, do something I'd never heard before and pray in tongues. I mean, I'd always up to that time, tongues were kind of this whispered thing that people were doing individually. You know, you could hear them, you know, if you wanted to in this prayer circle while different people would be led to pray, you know, kind of popcorn the English, you know, prayers. Well, here she stepped in, and she starts praying very boldly in tongues. And I just remember, you know, opening my eyes and looking at her like, this seems different. I, I can even remember thinking that she even looked slightly different. This and is at the 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. prayer gathering at your church, which yeah. you had attended how many times before? I don't know. I mean, it, countless. I, by, by this time, I'd had my own personal conversion, and I was, like, getting up and going with my dad on my own, you know, and, and when I, you know, I would I was going willingly. I didn't have to go. Sure. Yeah. And so, but yeah. you'd been there dozens yeah, of times, yeah, seen yeah. this, but you'd yeah. never seen anything ne- like ne- this. Never saw it like this. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then when she got done, she stepped back into the circle, and that's when Pastor John he stepped forward, and and it's in a way kind of mimicked what she had just done, mm-hmm. except he's praying in English. So he translated. 
Yeah, and that's what, and that's kind of the takeaway you get that 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 okay, well, that was the tongue. This was the interpretation. Yeah. Um, but what's more dynamic about this is what happens next. So after you know he steps in and we kind of finish the prayer. We always finished about seven o'clock because people would have to leave to go to work. And and uh, but my dad was an, his own was an electrical contractor at the time. I was his gopher. And this is when I learned how to drink coffee black with the men. You know, I'm I'm, the, yeah. you know, I'm about 15 or so, okay. maybe 16, and and we're we're gathered in the in the kitchen, and it's Pastor John's, my dad, and my dad's good friend in the church, uh, Bill Miller, and and we're sitting there, we're all drinking coffee, and this was kind of our routine after prayer. We'd sit around and chat for a while, drink coffee, and then you know we'd all go our own ways to work. But that morning, Bill asked John a question. He said, John, I just got a question for you. Why, after Les- Leslie prayed, why did you pray the same prayer with the same words? Oh. And, and, and my dad questions Bill, like, what are you talking about, Bill? And he's like, well, Leslie prayed, and then John prayed, and, and John said the exact same thing that Leslie said. Uh-huh. And my dad says to him, Bill, you heard, you heard Leslie pray in English? And, of course, Bill's like, well, yeah, then you all, and we're like, no, Bill, she was speaking tongues, and, yeah. and he swears that that Pastor John and Leslie said the exact same thing. Okay, he heard the exact same thing. He heard English from Leslie, and he heard John say the same thing. And That's so, interesting. So you know, I tell you know, he so heard these, in tongues. Yeah, yeah, he heard in tongues. You know, which I think is maybe Acts two also. You know, that when people heard the gospel in their own language, it right. wasn't. You know, it was more. Yeah, so do you, in well. Acts 2, do yeah. you think that they were speaking um, ecstatically, but but people heard it in their own language, or do you think they were actually speaking in other worldly languages? I, I think I think the uh, the way it's the way the text is written is is that they were speaking other human languages that were not known to them. And, yeah, that's and, how I've always yeah, interpreted yeah, yeah. it. Um, and then I, I, my understanding yeah. is most charismatics, yeah. whenever what they utter is not a worldly language, yeah. then they uh, interpret that as an angelic language. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I follow a teacher named Ken Fish, and his, his theory is that every, every language spoken in tongues is a human language. It's just that there have been so many languages spoken through, through the years, through the centuries, that uh, many of them lost that we may not recognize it as such. Interesting. But, but then I go with, you know, what does Paul mean in 1 Corinthians 13? When he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels. Now, I do believe he's talking about the gift of tongues there. Mm-hmm. And, and what, you know, and that's maybe, and that's where some charismatic come up with the angelic language, right. you know. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> well, and no, we no, don't no, have to. Yeah, I mean, yeah. God knows. I mean, nobody. And I don't think yeah. it's our job to I've, I've discount. Heard, I've heard many stories, though, yeah. of, of people praying in their prayer language yeah. and somebody from another culture saying, that's my language, mm. praying. So, you know. <laughs> Those are fun stories. Yeah, they yeah. are. They are. So, so I know that I know some prayer language, I know, I know at least some prayer languages are other spoken human languages that that person didn't even know that's what they were speaking. I've heard that for Mandarin Chinese. I've heard it for Russian. Yeah. And, and just some powerful stories about, cause usually they're, this person's over here speaking in tongues, just thinking they're doing their own thing. When, when the person that knew that language, hears them speaking to them in that language, you know, here, that's here's incredible. God speaking to that person. Yeah. So, so to summarize up till yeah, now, you're yeah. 
yeah. raised in a small town hick yeah. environment where you just <laughs> happened to get this pastor that was yeah. uniquely gifted and a congregation mm. that was uniquely yeah. positioned to receive this pastor. Mm. You grow up under mm. his tutelage in your teenage yeah. years and uh, encounter some things yeah. that are, uh, for obvious yeah. reasons, very formative. <laughs> and so my calling came when I was probably a junior in high school, and I'm tending a revival in that church. Calling to ministry. To call, yeah, calling to ministry. And I'm tending a revival in that church. And it was kind of... Um, you know, I won't say it was like flashing lights or anything, but but while the 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 speaker, his name was Samuel Doctorian, was was talking, it was just like this this thought came over me that said, Brian, that could be you. You you can be doing that. Mm-hmm. And so the next day, I go and after school, I stop by the office and talk with Pastor John, and and he turns uh, his Bible to Luke four eighteen, and have and just hands it to me and says, Here, read these words. And Luke four eighteen is where Jesus says reads from the Isaiah scroll, I have been anointed yeah. uh, to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, you know, and, and as I'm reading that, I mean, the hair just starts standing up on me, and the, I mean, the, the goose, the pimples, I mean, they just, they're just, you know, and I just feel this electricity come through me, and I'm like, yeah, that, that's it, that, that's, that's what I'm experiencing, that's what I'm sensing here. Mm. Um, so I'm a junior in high school, and, uh, I wish I could remember the name. I don't know if it was Dr. Welch. He was our district superintendent back then. I know he was our district superintendent one time. I don't know if he was the current district superintendent, but yeah. but he 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 heard you know he, he at charge conference he heard that uh, he came to me and he says I hear you have a call to ministry and I said he said yeah and he he said you're not expecting to you know start right away you know there was a time when they'd take a 16 year old put him in a pulpit sure, yeah yeah <laughs> and I said oh no you know. And, and, and he gave me some of the best advice. He said, well, go to college. Major in anything you want to major in that you find fun except for religion. And he gave me two reasons to not major in religion as a bachelor, in a bachelor's degree. He said, one, um, that way you have something to fall back on. Okay. <laughs> and two, everything you get as a bachelor degree in religion, you're going to get in seminary again. Okay. And so, so to short this up, I go to Oklahoma City University a major in chemistry. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I graduated as the outstanding chem- chemistry major nice. in, in 1991 uh, from OCU. And, and, um, and yet I took electives in the religion department. I actually just came up one class short of having a minor in religion. Wasn't trying to get a minor in religion, even though that was a possibility. I just taken some fun electives. Sure, yeah. And some some things that I thought, well, like I took biblical analysis because I thought, well, that's going to help me in seminary. And boy, was that the right decision to make. <laughs> but, but, but I took enough religion to know, courses to know that when I got to Candler School of Theology, uh, guess what? I mean, yeah, it's some of the same books I'd used it in my undergraduate degree. I'm now using in my seminary degree. At this point, uh, had you yeah. had you read through the Bible pretty well? Did did you have a firm biblical foundation? Um. I'd say no, actually. I mean, uh, you know, personal disciplines were something I, I struggled with for 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 quite a bit. Um, you know, uh, and that's the reason why that Fred Craddock quote about uh, persons who substitute reading or substitute talking about God for talking with God, yeah. I think, kind of speaks to me because I keep in history, in times past, I'd keep falling into that trap, thinking, you know, finding myself this week having only read the Bible yeah. and studied it for the next Bible study or the next sermon, not for, for personal... My daughter, yeah. Susanna, yeah. six years old, mm-hmm. she 
sometimes just eats like a little bird. She doesn't eat very much, but she loves talking about food. <laughs> and her way of pleasing her mother at the table will be to sit down at the table and just talk about how wonderful yeah. the food is yeah. and how yeah. excellently she prepared yeah. it, but she won't eat the dang food. Yeah. And how many Christians are actually yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. And, and, and you're not getting any nutritional value talking about it, <laughs> you know? And, you know, um, and like, and like I said, in the last segment, you know, um, I've made some changes in the last four or five, six years, I guess, since 2017, five years since I, I started seeing a spiritual director and that's yeah. helped me. And, and I've, and for the first time, actually, I mean, full confession here for the first time this year, I am. I am still on track for a Bible in a year reading program. Good. You know, and so, and, and really, you know, I've taught disciple Bible study. Every, you know, I've, I've read most of the Bible in some form, but not, again, not for myself. And so that's been one of the, uh, and, and, and I get now to where I, I, I want to, you know, I want to get yeah. up. I want to hear it. I want to, I, and I've also learned something about myself that I think's helped. And that is, I'm actually not a reader. I'm a listener. Sure. And so when I switched over to listening to the Bible instead of trying to read the Bible, yeah. that's made all the difference for me. I've Good learned my learning style. Well, yeah. that's the vast yeah. majority of Christians yeah. throughout the ages have yeah. been aural, A-U-R-A-L learners. Yeah. Uh, so that's that you, you sit yeah. in a very firm tradition. Yeah, well, but, but, you know, I was always beating myself up because I wasn't reading the Scripture. Sure. Yeah. And then now, but when I realized that that's the, that I, I learned better i learn by listening yeah not by reading yeah um that's and you know, even today i heard something in the scripture that you know you've heard the in jeremiah where he says can a can a leopard change his spots right but what he says before that i'd never noticed before he says can an ethiopian change his skin mm. <laughs> yeah. like whoa yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. can a leopard change his it's spot? <laughs> uh not pc yeah. Yeah. yeah but but you know if i'd read that i don't know if it you know obviously i've read those parts this is in jeremiah what 13, I think, and I've read it before, but it hadn't, I haven't heard it. <laughs> sure, yeah. yeah. But, but while I'm shaving, I'm like, oh my goodness, Jeremiah. <laughs> but, uh, so you went to uh, OCU, and then did you go directly to your divinity program? After yeah, that? I Where did. Where did you go? Uh, Candler School of Theology. Okay. Yeah, Atlanta, so, right? Atlanta, yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, I jumped straight into that, and and I'll say, you know... Were you married yet? Well, uh, so, yeah, Gail and I, we, we met while at OCU uh, my junior year. And uh, she she was a freshman. I was a junior, and um, and Gail's well, your wife today. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and cool. so when when I graduated and left that first semester, I I made sure to put a ring on her finger and get engaged to her, <laughs> while she finished up her her degree. Uh, she's from Singapore. Uh, she's uh, Chinese, and and uh, and so you know, getting that education, finishing that degree, there was no talk of marriage until that was done. That was just not going to happen. Uh, although. We ended up getting married uh, before, she, you know, she was a music uh, education major, so that took a little bit more than four years. Is she a gifted musician? Um, she was funneled into that through the Singapore But that's not necessarily her passion. Yeah, yeah, it really wasn't her okay. passion, no. <laughs> okay. she, she's, she likes to sing. Sure. She's not... It's the teaching part. That <laughs> At that point, was she yeah. a charismatic Christian? No, not really. I mean, um, her, her father, the reason why she ended up at Oklahoma City University was her father was uh, the bishop of the Methodist Church of Singapore at the time. But their, their system is a little bit different than the United Methodist system. They, they have kind of a combination of British Methodism and United Methodism in that they have a bishop, but uh, 
the bishop and the bishop is elected. So she was uh, raised as a pastor's kid. Yeah, yeah, preacher's kid. Yeah. Okay, yeah, and you know, um, but uh, do you think she's drawn to you because you were going that pastoral route? Um, well, the fact that I was a chemistry major nearly kept us from dating because she, really? <laughs> she didn't like science. And okay. she's like, yeah. My wife and I, when, when yeah. we met in seminary, she was resolved she was not going to yeah. uh, marry yeah. a preacher. Well, so. her, her mother reminded her the day of our wedding that she had told her, that Gail had told her mother when she was, you know, some, that she would never marry a pastor. And, okay. the, you know, I'm like, well, it's, why are you reminding her, you know, hours before the wedding? <laughs> now, <you know>? Sure. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> My mother-in-law, whenever uh, she learned mm-hmm. that uh, her daughter was wanting to marry a guy who'd moved yeah. out to Idaho, she yeah. sent her a news article on um, a house in Idaho that got infested with rattlesnakes. Oh, my. <laughs> so, yeah, can't marry that guy, no. I guess. <laughs> so, But, I mean, you know, in that sense, you know, Gil knew the good, the bad, and the ugly of pastor family. And y'all got know? married after you did your MDiv? Well, we got married. Um, I was, I was. In between, we got married the summer after between my second and third year. Okay. So, so we were married, and she came out and lived in North Georgia okay. uh, with me for a year before we moved back to Oklahoma. But, uh, uh, yeah, and she's like, if she'd had more time in North Georgia, she might have convinced me to stay out there. She said she liked, she loved Atlanta. She really? was big. She's from Singapore. Oh, sure. She yeah. th- Oklahoma City. You know, I take her to the mall in Oklahoma City. And and we're in Penn Square Mall, and you know I, I feel the crowd. And yeah. she's like, "Where's all the people?" I'm like, "What are you talking about?" You know. Yeah. And I go to Singapore, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, you know, you're, uh-huh. you're like, you know, you can't walk without rubbing elbows, you know, with somebody somewhere, you know." And it's even worse now than it was 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But uh, uh, but yeah. So um, but you know, when you say was she a charismatic at the time, you know, even I wasn't necessarily a practicing charismatic by then. Because once I left, the when you say practicing charismatic, you mean regularly speaking in tongues, being if, uh, having an experience with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, more of the experience because I'm, I'm technically what would be classified as third wave charismatic, and I would encourage your readers or your listeners yeah. <laughs> to go to the United Methodist Book of of Resolutions. You can probably just find it online. Look up the charismatic guidelines for the United Methodist Church, and the opening doc in the opening document it has a great. Summary of the history of the Pentecostal charismatic movement in, in North America. This is in the Book of Resolutions. This is in our Book of Resolutions. Yes, and <laughs> and and there it talks about the three waves of the charismatic uh, of what some have called the charismatic movement. The first wave being the traditional Pentecostal wave, the Azusa Street, you know, that revival. The the second being the charismatic wave, and then I'm actually more in the stream known as the third wave. And the third wave uh, is is its theological root is found in the ministry of a guy by the name of John Wimber. And most United Methodists probably haven't recognized that name, and yet they've sang his hymn because his hymn is in our United Methodist hymnals, number three forty seven, Spirit Song. <laughs> oh, let the Son of God enfold you with His Spirit and His love. Yeah, yeah, that was written. Yeah, that was written by John Wimber. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and. And Jesus, oh Jesus, come, come and fill your land. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that, that one. I haven't sung that one in years, yeah. but yeah. I know it. Yeah. yeah, but it's 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 in our hymnal and it's written come by him. And and, and uh, he's known as the founder of the Vineyard Churches. Oh, sure. Yeah. The Vineyard Churches. Yeah. But but his theological distinctive was he moved away from speaking in tongues as the evidence of of the Holy Spirit, which 
I fully agree with. I remember even before I knew John Wimber and all, and and reading uh, uh, a local pastor's little pamphlet on why tongues and and the evidence of of tongues being. I'm actually going to be preaching this Sunday, <laughs> talking about this very topic on Sunday, but uh, how tongues were the evidence of of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But I can remember hearing this pastor on the radio here locally uh, one night, and and he didn't. He, he basically said two things that equated: you're not a Christian if you're not f- filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And that would have been first and mostly <laughs> second wave, right? Well, that that's definitely Pentecost, traditional yeah. Pentecostal. Yeah. Uh, theology, yeah, uh, that that speaking in tongues is evidence of the Holy Spirit. But then, you know, since and depending on the stream, you receive the Holy Spirit when you become a Christian. So when you become a Christian, you should just be speaking in tongues, right? You know? Yeah. So it's almost this, you know, they don't. It's, it's more this rational equation there. But uh, I, I had yeah, a woman yeah. come to a Bible study here for Revelation. We, we made our book, uh, way through the book of Revelation, and she was wonderful yeah. the whole time, and she loved me as a Christian, yeah. and she showed up at my door one day yeah. and said, you need to speak in tongues, because yeah. if you don't speak in tongues, yeah. you are not saved. Yeah. And I, I was aware of this tradition, and you know, I would love to speak in tongues. I've, yeah. I've, I've asked for that gift. I haven't been gifted that. I have no problem with people who have that gift, mm-hmm. and I don't believe that tongues have ceased, but to say that you are not a Christian, yeah. you will not be saved if the Holy Spirit has not operated yeah. you in that way. Yeah. What I think you're telling me is third wave uh, does not say that this right. is the right. the condition. So yeah, and and you know, and actually, why you know, growing up in that Copan church, yeah, um, John, yeah, I didn't know that John Durr was influenced by the ministry of John Wimber. Okay, uh, until so he was third yeah, wave too. Yeah, he was third wave, but I do remember him talking about you know, tongues is not the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Love is yeah. the evidence of the Holy First Spirit. First Corinthians thirteen. Yeah, 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 and 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 I would even, I, and I'm going to say there's there's another evidence of the Holy Spirit. It, it's not just love; it's power. Also, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You know, and and um, you know, it, it, in some ways, I think, I think the the baptism of I, I think there is a baptism of love that comes with the Holy Spirit because it's relation. You know, sure. the Holy Spirit is relational. Uh, in fact, the gifts of the Spirit operate out of that relation. I mean, I think a lot of us have this, like, deistic view of the gifts. We think that, you know, somehow God has sent these gifts down to By us. By deistic, you mean not personal. Yeah, not personal. God, yeah, God, is standing, God is standing off in heaven, and He sent the gifts to us to operate in. Well, and most and, people yeah. have a pneumatology of the, yeah. the Holy Spirit being an impersonal force, yeah, like yeah. in Star Wars. Yeah. And yeah. what Christian doctrine actually teaches yeah. is that... He's the third person. Yeah. Oh, he, he has feelings. He has yeah, an agenda. Yeah, yeah, he has yeah. a personality. It took me a long time to break the habit of calling the Holy Spirit it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, might as well call him thing and go with the monsters, you know. <laughs> I only barely know that reference. Yeah. All right. But uh, I'm a little older than you. Yeah. So, but so you yeah. were you were instantiated in this third wave. Um, yeah. But, charismatic. But, yeah. But what happened also is once I left the Copan Church, and yeah. started going to college. I actually started attending church at St. Luke's in Oklahoma City, and and um, my beliefs did not change. I mean, my, based on those experiences I had. Um, however, my expectations did change because I wasn't having those experiences sure. on a regular basis. Yeah. And and you can have strong belief and not have any expectation. And, right. And and, and yeah. that's and that's what I ended up 
happening for me. So, you know, by the time I met my wife, Gail, I mean, I was charismatic in belief, but not charismatic in expectation or practice, yeah. you know. And and then I go off to Candler, and, and you know, Candler's not necessarily the most uh, conservative of our sure, yeah. you know, I, I, I enjoy actually, it might be you know. the, one of the most conservatives yeah, of our yeah, seminaries. Yeah, it is now, I guess <laughs> things have definitely changed. Uh, but man, I sure wish United today would have been the seminary I could have gone to then. <laughs> but, yeah. but, uh, United is a very, oh, it's, it's an, it's an awesome seminary with its diversity of theologies. I mean, you'll get it all there. Huh. You won't get just this homogenous liberation viewpoint that a lot of, you know, that is lifted up as being diverse. I mean, you'll still get your liberation theologies, but they'll be put side by side with a practicing charismatic Pentecostal theology huh. too, you know. And until you experience the theology of 25% of the world's Christian population, how can you really say you, you've been exposed so to diversity? When you say that, you mean charismatic Christianity. Charism- yeah, 25% yeah. of the world's population is charismatic, yeah. you know. Yeah, so, <laughs> and yet our seminaries ignore that for the most part. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, the, yeah. the stereotype is that those yeah. are the, they're not the thinking Christians, mm-hmm. those are the feeling pseudo-Christians. Yeah, right? and so yeah, I even fell into that stereotype, sure. because, you know, I, I'm a pastor for, you know, I started as in 1991 as a, as a student pastor going to seminary, and then moved, came back to Oklahoma when I graduated in 94, was ordained a deacon, I'm so old school, I'm ordained a deacon in yeah, 1993. Yeah, there used to be a different ordination. yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I was one of the last classes of deacons before uh, the the ninety six discipline, you know, that did away with it. Uh, uh, but anyway, I, w- I was ordained a deacon in in ninety three, and then ordained an elder in nineteen ninety six here in Oklahoma Annual Conference. But all during that time, you know, I had the beliefs. I had, in fact, back then, the Board of Ordained Ministry had added questions to our our theological papers that they had two questions that dealt with. Using, you know, I just I don't remember the exact questions, but it was basically using the Wesleyan quadrilateral of scripture, tradition, reason, and experience, defend or, or explain your view of glossolalia. And I remember reading that, like thinking, "What's glossolalia? I hadn't heard that." You term hadn't before. heard that yeah. word. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mean, you know, we didn't comes talk. from it comes yeah. from the Greek yeah. glossa, yeah. which means yeah. tongue yeah. or language. Yeah. So glossolalia yeah, is it, speaking, it's speaking ex- in tongues, and they had a very specific question, and in, in back then in the early nineties, on the Wesleyan quadrilateral and using and, and, and explaining your position on that. And, okay. And, um, you know, in my, particularly in my, or, my interview with the board of ordained ministry in, in, uh, in 1993 for my deacon's orders, um, you know, they, they semi grilled me on that, uh, you know, uh, and you know, they, I was asked, what would I do if somebody began speaking in tongues in the middle of worship service? Yeah. And, and, uh, and I just, I, I paused and I said, I said I don't know. That I'd need to know the context. I need to, you know, you know, <laughs> it may be appropriate. It may not be. <laughs> and and then they gave me some more specific. Well, what if they start speaking in tongues in the middle of the liturgy for communion? I said, oh, that'd be wrong. You know, that'd be a disruption to the service. Sure. And, and you know, I was going with you know, you need an interpretation and all this. Yeah. And and um, uh, my the lead. I don't remember who my lead interviewer was, but the the person in the chair of the interview team was was Reverend Danny Moss and and he kind of kind of saw where this line of questioning was going and and he says he, he puts it into it by saying well Brian I don't know what I'd do either <laughs> <You know? laughs> but but you know there was an animosity back then you know or ORU had lost its uh 
status to be a, a seminary for United Methodist training, but there were still pastors in ORU that were grandfathered in because that was a seminary they had started in before the the student senate had removed that for yeah. them. And and so, uh, you know, I, I know of another pastor that was, they spent an hour and a half grilling him, but he, he also tended to be a little bit more defensive and push back. If you challenged him, he would sure. challenge you. And, you know, I'm a little more diplomatic, I think, in my approach. Sure. And, well, and, it, it, it's uh, worth yeah. saying now there are, uh, I mean, I've seen uh, mm. threads online of people saying, uh, boards of ordained ministry saying mm. they have no interest in approving yeah. people that graduate yeah. from Asbury. Yeah. You know, so uh, ORU isn't really yeah. The, yeah. The, the fear anymore, but Asbury yeah. really yeah. is for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, and, and back then, I mean, when he came out of his interview after an hour and a half of, of, of that one, I mean, they, they interview in almost two hours, yeah. you know, because uh, they spent so much time on that one topic. He was told by, he, he said he was told by the interview team there that our bishop at the time had said that there was no room for speaking in tongues in the United Methodist Church. Mm. Of course, I didn't know about that uh, resol- book of resolutions about guidelines of the sure, that would have been I, fun to bring. I, I would have loved to know. You know, I didn't find that until like 2001, and like, where has this been my entire ministry? <laughs> is when I found that. But it's been in there since 1976. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the original documents of our book of resolutions. Yikes! And and uh, you know, uh, actually, it's 72. The, the fir- you know, 72, not 76, is when, when it, right after the the first general conference after the uniting conference. Yeah, but. Uh, uh, but anyway, um, you know, my, my response to that was, I'm sorry to hear that. I've been told there's room for everybody in the United Methodist Church, you know, and, and that is my general response. You know, there's a recent controversy in, at OCU Chapel about a theology that was being uh, preached, and, and some were wanting to, to remove that, you know, remove that and say that theology shouldn't be preached. And I'm like, you know, in the name of academic freedom, it should be taught. I mean, you know, I'm not opposed to that, but what I am, but what I want is to see is, you know, where is the other side, where, where, where is the yeah, true academic thought has, has your, what you believe and, and what is counter to your belief, and so where, where is the charismatic Pentecostal uh, uh, theology, you know, I mean, if they want, if they want a PhD to come in and, and teach that, I know Dr. Bellini at United Theological Seminary, he's just written the, the book, The X Manual, on, on demonic deliverance, and he'd be happy to come and preach a, a Pentecostal theology of deliverance at the OCU Chapel. If that's what you know, if they really want to balance and and be diverse yeah. in their in their approach, <laughs> you know, and 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 he's 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 New York Sicilian, so you don't. You know. <laughs> He's got a great voice. You should. But, you should. Let me exhort yeah. you to actually contact their spiritual yeah. director and and facilitate that. Yeah. All right. But uh, uh, but that's kind of my my approach. I mean, um, I don't want to say you sh- certain theologies shouldn't be taught or shouldn't be preached because, you know, again, I think there is truth. There is you know, there's something correct about the social gospel. Even you know, I mean, going way back, you know, but the problem is, is I think what. You know, they try to, they try to get to an end without the means. Sure. They try to get to the end of 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 the reformation of society for the kingdom of God without the means of of personal renewal and revival. You know, without the means of God transforming our hearts, without the means of sanctification. They try to get to the end of sanctification without the means of the sanctifying grace. What about prosperity gospel? 
Oh, I'm opposed to that. <laughs> well, okay, there's no room for prosperity gospel. Okay, well, that's that's fine. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's a, yeah. a nuanced theological yeah. conversation to have, but I, I, I feel like you, yeah. it, it seems clear like where you've been powerfully informed by the Holy Spirit about yeah. the person and work of Christ and what mm-hmm. you're called to do. Now, you, you already shared in the part one yep. that, that you were volunteering as a pastor in a pregnancy crisis yeah. center. Yeah. Did you build up to that, or is that something you just started doing out of your conviction that... Uh... Um, well, um, one, of the, uh, one of the workers on staff there was a, was a friend, and, and um, they, were, they were looking for pastors to come in and to pray regularly with the staff. Okay. And, and so that's how I got pulled in there, and, you know, we'd come in, and they were showing us the work of it and all this, and, and it just surprised me that... About what year was this? Oh, it was, it was uh, less than 10 years ago, um, maybe eight. 2008? Yeah, well, I mean, eight years from today, so that's what... Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, uh, 2014 or okay. so, yeah. Maybe so this is relatively there. recent. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And where were you appointed at, at, at the that time? time? I was in Collinsville at Meadow Creek United Methodist okay. Church, yeah. Is that yeah. the one that's closed down now, or was no. it? Okay, oh, they're no. still open. Yeah. I've done a bad job at connectionalism. Sorry, brother. <laughs> so you were appointed there. You were yeah. volunteering. And then uh, in part one, you said yeah. you asked them what they were doing to facilitate adoption, and yeah. they weren't doing... Yeah, they, they didn't counsel adoption at all. They, it was All their counseling was, was towards having the child and then them giving them support in, you know, at least for the next, for the year or two yeah. of, of helping them raise that child. And, you know, that, that's, you know, I can't say that that's wrong. I mean, to be commendable there, but, no, that's great. but, but, you know, it just seemed, you know, that an incomplete, that incomplete, that, yeah. that our society, whether, no matter what side you're talking about this issue on has, 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 has minimized ad- adoption as, as a viable, option. Well, and yeah. half of that, we can talk about it now or yeah. after you yeah. read the, the portion from the social principles, but um, it's an intimidating process. The government yeah. is very involved in it. There's I, Everybody knows, even if they yeah. don't know the particulars, it's an expensive proposition. Yeah. It's it's time intensive. It's expensive. Um, it's just, it's very intimidating. It's much easier to talk about foster care, but yeah. foster care emotionally abuses oh. you. Um, yeah. And so it just feels like one of these things that's such a a momentous, yeah. huge. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I've been looking forward to hearing your personal yeah. account of that. Yeah. Was it informed by the social principles? No. Uh, That's was, just something you've circled back around to after you've done it. Yeah, because because <laughs> I mean, so you know, Gail and I we were we were married in in 1993. After you know, we we, we dated for two years at school, and then I went to Atlanta and engaged for two years. And then we got we got married in the summer of 1993, and we moved back to Oklahoma in 1994. And so around 95 or so, we 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 decided to start. You know, it's time to start having a family, sure. and, and you know the it didn't seem to be working for us. And sure. and um, you know my, my my personal family. It's interesting because Gail's family has a negative story of adoption. Um, as in, like it happened, and yeah, it yeah. Wasn't well, good. and and it had to do with, you know, you know, she's coming from an Asian culture, and and adopted children were seen as as less than birth children, you yeah. know, and and sometimes adopted children were were brought in. They were adopted. They were brought into family, but but it was you know, little 
more than than to be labor in the family okay you know and so they weren't they they didn't have they weren't always treated with with the same degree that a that a birth child would be treated within yeah. a family especially if it was a mixed if there if there's birth children with an adopted child and and she had a i don't remember i can't actually remember which relative it was of hers that was adopted and that was kind of you know you know yeah they provided her a place to eat and place to sleep and and in, in exchange she she cleaned the house you know you know i guess in a way a kind of a form of legal slavery i mean um but uh, but anyway so you know she has this you know family history of negative adoptions but in my family um my dad's mother was adopted uh he her her mother had died in a car accident when she was 2 and and her 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 aunt uh and his uh, you know adopted her uh and uh and I had two cousins on my mom's side of the family uh that that were adopted and uh um and there's there's a story of a of a of a pregnancy in the '60s on my mom's side of the family that was was given up, uh, was was given to adoption uh, as a teenage pregnancy, and and so you know so there you know so all these connections to adoption, but so it, it wasn't it wasn't something that was that foreign to us, but uh, you know as we realized that uh, there must be something something's not right, and we start uh, uh, pursuing. Um, uh, Different different avenues. Um, I want to say by ninety seven ninety eight, we were seeing doctors and 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 uh, um, and we were seeing doctors that weren't specialized in infertility. They were standard OBGYN and, yeah. and you know the the first doctor we saw, I, I would say he was less than helpful with some of his comments because you know he put us on a medication and said, oh, you should be pregnant now next month, you know, <laughs> and of course that didn't, you know, so, so his statements and our, our reality weren't, 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 weren't matching up. And I want to say it was around 99, 2000, um, we first came, and at that time we were, I was pastor in Jet America over by Enid, and we came to Tulsa, and we went to Dillon's International and, and learned about uh, Chinese adoption. You know, with my wife's heritage being from from China, uh, that's what you know, we were kind of drawn to to adopting from from that country, and uh, and yeah, we walked away from there like there's no way we can afford to do this. I mean, you know, big big price tag. You're right, and um, uh, and so we come back, and you know, we kind of you know there there was also you know when you're dealing with infertility. There's actually a grieving process that you you have to go through as well, because um, uh, um, you know your your plans and your dreams all of a sudden you know when I hear people talk about family planning I just want to laugh because sure. they're like yeah you know you just think you get to plan families you know <laughs> and and uh, so um, it was in 2000 we were we were moved to Broken Arrow as a social. Uh, Associate pastor at Broken Arrow First, and it was there that um, uh, some church members that we had become kind of friends with. They knew of a foster situation. I mean, cutest little boy, and and that got the adoption going again for us. And and um, and so did we, you take this boy into your home? No, no. Okay. 
but we started uh, we started uh, the process with DHS to become adoptive parents. You, Not foster parents. Yeah, you don't have to. You don't have to be foster parents with DHS to become adoptive parents. Um, and so, uh, but we, you know, we start. We went through all the classes. We went through the home study, and um, we went to the point. We we actually received a referral from DHS. And what's important here is that part of what we were doing at this time is we were also reading a a, a book. I don't know if it's in print any longer, but it was it was a great book. It was called I wish I could remember the author's name, but the title of the book was Adoption After Infertility. And the first half of the book was really about the grief and losses with of of finding that you're infertile. And and it had, you know, and you know, I, I already mentioned that I'm a I'm a I, I learn better by hearing, right? And so so I didn't realize it at the time, but Gail would read the read the read it to me while we were in bed, you know, we go to bed, oh, sure, she'd, yeah. she'd, she'd read the, the chapters and, and then we'd talk about it. And, and, uh, uh, and so I was learning the best way I knew how and not knowing it at the time, <laughs> but, but they had, she had a couple exercises in there for us and, you know, dealt with grief and loss. And, yeah. but this one, uh, this one night, the, it was talking about, you know, so she finally started moving into adoption. It's like halfway through the book and we're only now starting to talk about adoption and all this other stuff about, infertility that I didn't know we needed to do and oh well we needed to do it <laughs> and and as we got into the adoption part one of the first things that the author stressed was don't settle in adoption don't think don't take the first thing that is offered to you if it's not what you truly want and and, and her reasoning was you've already lost all these other choices in your life don't don't let the social worker uh you know Pressure you. pressure you to take something that's not your your first choice. Yeah, and, and and so she's emphasizing to go with your first choice, stick with that. And and as soon as Gail got done reading that, I just said, "Well, I guess we're going to China because mm-hmm. that was our first choice. Yeah. It wasn't DHS. It wasn't low. I mean, you know, DHS was you know there was no no cost with DHS. And in fact, once the children came to us, they were going to still give they were going to give us a stipend to yeah. help with their cost. And 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 so. You know, and, and about that same time, we received a referral from our caseworker, and it wasn't what we had asked for at all. And but we still spent two weeks in agonizing prayer and discernment sure. about you know yeah. these three children that you know that they had offered to us because we said we'd be willing to take a sibling group of up to three, and but we also said we'd like the oldest to only be five, and the youngest were five, and the oldest was. Seven is it was seven year old and two twins and 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 anyway it wasn't what we had asked for, and and we just gotten that and we and we felt like we were supposed to go to China and so but we we still spent that two weeks in agonizing prayer and discernment and finally in the end said no this this isn't what we're being called to do and so we returned in that referral and and you know the fear what some people would have feared but we didn't uh, because of what we just read in the book did happen to us. Our caseworker never really got back to us ever again. Yeah. You know, just kind of, you know, we just kind of drifted off and, but we were also done with DHS too. Uh, you know, we never did have this official, we're not doing this yeah. moment with DHS, but we did go to Dylan's. We started the process with, um, uh, for, for China, not, not sure. You know, my parents gave us a nice gift to say, Hey, get this adoption kickstarted. And, and, uh, you know, um, just to shorten the story up in the end, 
the church went behind my back. They, they set up an account outside of the church, and they told persons if they wanted to support our adoption to send money to this bank account so that it could be given to us as a gift because if it come through the church, it'd look like it'd be income. Yeah. And, and, and then they, they I mean, we didn't know this was happening. And then they, they surprised us with a, with a kind of little party. And, and I'm thinking, you know, two or 3,000, you know, that's, that's going to be generous, right? It was $10,000. Uh, and then that money... I have to ask yeah. what what is the what did what was the whole price tag for the whole adoption? It was around twenty thousand. Okay, but but with that money, we were then able to say you know file for a grant through Shohana's Hope the um, and and when they asked well how has your church supported you and we were able to say ten thousand dollars they gave us a full three thousand dollar grant on top of that and then with the money we saved I mean we did this adoption debt free. Wow and actually had several hundred dollars left in our adoption savings account so that when we got back from all the expenses in China and all this, and we just, it, it took us a few years to get around to finally doing it, but then because the way Ch- Chinese adoptions were handled back then, you know, she was, the adoption was finalized in China, but it wasn't, even though she was an American citizen and as soon as my daughter, as soon as I land, we landed on U.S. soil, she became an American citizen because it was finalized in China, Oklahoma didn't recognize the adoption, so we had to go through basically a readoption process. It's really kind of funny. We had to adopt her again in Oklahoma to get uh-huh. Oklahoma to recognize it, but that was important so that now we need a birth certificate. Right. We can contact Oklahoma. How old, how old was she when you adopted her? She was nine months old when they put her in her okay. arms, and uh, she's 17 now, <laughs> oh, junior in high school. So, so. Uh, and you were happy with just one child? Yeah, I mean, by the time we got around, I mean, we were, we were married 13 years by the right. time we had her, and and we thought about it, uh, but, you know, I started kind of doing the math, and, you know, I'm going to be, what, 62, 63 before she's done with college and all this, and and uh, it just, yeah, I mean, um, I, I, I don't feel any regrets. I mean, I think she might have liked a brother or sister, but... <laughs> But uh, maybe you, when she was younger, I don't know. I think she's okay with it now. But uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was we had thought about it, but it didn't. Yeah, the one one seemed it seemed to be what we were supposed to do. So there's an obvious biblical connection mm-hmm. um, because there's a lot of adoption language used mm-hmm. for us um, who were grafted in um, mm-hmm. the Gentiles, and um, you know, Father. Our Father in Heaven, Christ, our our brother, um, yeah. and there's clear overlap there, but there's also just the dynamics of life, and and I don't know what there's there's a sermon in this, but also there's just uh, we live in a culture right now where fertility rates are are rapidly declining for reasons that are not yet known. Um, there are a lot of good theories. There are a lot of couples that love each other and feel very much that they want to raise children. Um, in vitro is an option that a lot of people turn to. I find that yeah. theologically problematic well, you know, because actually, and we had ruled that out for us yeah. because you know our 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 belief says that um, life is beginning at conception, 
and, and a lot of people don't know the method is yeah. you fertilize a number of different yes. eggs and you only yes. hold on to one. Yeah, well, two, you, so. you, you, it, does, it depends. Some doctors want to put in three or four because not all of them will will, will, will even attack. Take, yeah. They'll take, but but the ethical question becomes for me was and what do you do? Uh, you say say you harvest. Let's say you harvest six embryos. You fertilize them, and you use three in one procedure, and you get pregnant. Now, what are you going? You know. What are you gonna do with those remaining three? Do you, right. you know, uh, and you just don't think about it. Yeah, what you I mean, do with I, them. Yeah, yeah, you just yeah, don't think about it. Because to dispose of them is is you know is to end a life. You know, that's how I thought about it. You know, that that's, that's how I think yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah, and and so you know, so I mean, I know I've known I've known two or three couples that you know dealt from that same church that dealt with infertility, and yeah. that's how and they went through in virtual fertilization, and you know, I'm, you know. I'm and all I don't, for that. I but, don't want to cast aspersions at people yeah, who go through that, yeah, but the, yeah. the reality is that we live in a world with yeah. with a lot of orphans yeah. and a lot of children who are not cared well yeah. for. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I uh, started, well, h- how we know Kira is we mm. met her in the yeah. process, being trained to be foster parents, yeah. and of course she okay. saw that through. We took a couple kids into our home, yeah. and part of it was we weren't working with the local <laughs> DHS, yeah. and logistically it was yeah. just complicated. Yeah. But also it was we had our second child, and we realized we were going to give short shrift to him yeah. if uh, we were focusing on It's still our intention yeah. to enter into the foster care system again mm-hmm. because we're clear that we have a godly, stable home, yeah. and we're called to, to bless children out of that. Yeah. Um, but foster care and adoption is uh, domestic is very different from international adoption, which yeah. is what you yeah, guys yeah. did. And I don't have... Well, and again, we chose international adoption because it fit our, you know, my wife being Chinese. And, yeah. You know, it just, it was, it fit our family dynamic. The sure. Best. Yeah. 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 So I guess I'm trying to think of, I think this is a good place to end, and I'm not sure exactly how to tie it up for someone who's watched. I guess a general exhortation for people who are uh, infertile or who... Who, uh, who aren't even looking to have kids yet, but thinking yeah. about it, just kind of making it seem more real. Because it's not, it doesn't feel real common, uh, even now. I mean, I, I yeah. can count on one hand the people I know who have done adoption. Um, so it, is there an exhortation for that, or is there something that you wish, before well, you dipped your toes into it, is there something that you wish you had known? Well, I mean, like I said, if, if, if you're dealing with infertility, before you move to adoption, I don't know if that book is still in print or not, but but know that there is there is a grief that you need to work through. You need to understand what you have lost in in your in, in the decisions that you have not been able to make uh, because of infertility. Um, you know, uh, but you know, as far as you know. A, Adoption, you know, since since we have adopted, I mean, it did kind of open my eyes to just how how actually adoption. I think is, adoption is the primary um, uh, symbol of coming into faith in in the New Testament. Yeah. I mean, we're not born you know, children yeah, of God. Yeah, we're not. I mean, yeah, that's a to everyone who says everyone's a child of God. I want to say, have you read the same New Testament I've read? No, we're all born. We're all created in the image of God. Sure, but, but children of God. Who who are the children of God are a very specific definition in Scripture. It's that's consistent, yeah. and that is those who believe in Jesus. You know, and, well, and there's and, being born yeah, again. Yeah, yeah born know? again. Yeah, uh, but you know the the verse that has always stood out to me. In fact, 
uh, going back to Copan before before the big revival happened, <laughs> uh, you know, we'd have Sunday school classes, and and uh, um, actually, I guess this was why John was there. But anyway, that's real relevant. We have Sunday school classes and and it, before worship, and and the the old the, the traditional small church, you know, uh, where the Sunday school the kids would come up onto the to the front of the church and give their memory verse of the of the of the day, you know, before worship would begin and yeah. all the announcements, you know, the, um, and so this one Sunday, one of the elementary kids, you know, they're getting up there and they're trying to line them up. And, and she, she, this, I don't know how old she was, but she just had this big smile on her face and she just waves and she goes, hello, daddy, you know, and, and, uh, and my dad, I was sitting next to my dad and my dad turns to me and says, well, where is that found in the Bible? You know, we're you know thinking that you know trying to say that was her memory verse. Hello, Daddy. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I said, uh, well, it's Romans uh, eight fourteen. <laughs> you know, we've not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption. We I wish we cry out, Abba Father. Abba Father. Yeah. Hello, Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and actually, uh, my dad has recently told me how significant that moment was for him when mm-hmm. he you know me pointing him to that verse and him reading that. And I guess there was a, a shift in his spirit as well. You know, uh, uh, you know, that's a whole nother conversation about the orphan spirit, you know, more in the, the deliverance side of things. <laughs> but, but, uh, but there was a shift in his spirit to, to realize that he was adopted, that he could call out to his heavenly father, yeah. his Abba father. And, and, and just one last thing. There's something else that I was always that I was always found curious in that passage, because you know Paul would then go on to say we are heirs with Christ or heirs of God, and co-heirs, co-heirs with, with Christ. Christ. Yeah. And I thought, why, why, why the two inheritances? You know, and and my answer came in 2018. I'm in Brazil. I'm actually with uh, Randy Clark, uh, Global Awakening, on one of their ministry trips where they, you know, you can. You can sign up and go with them and be the prayer ministry for his uh, 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 his teams, and and that night um, uh, Rodney Hogue was the one speaking, and he was speaking about um, he was speaking on 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 uh, curses and blessings, and and you know we we often point out that the scripture says you know cursed is is the generation you know to three generations is the curse right. Uh, for those who are opposed to God, but we tend to miss out the next thing uh, that that those you know the blessing is for a thousand generations. Uh-huh, yeah. you, know, you know, we always focus on the negative and not sure, the positive. Yeah. And, and he was focusing us on both, you know, breaking the curses that have come down from three generations and calling forward the blessing of a thousand generations sure. into our life. And that that was a very powerful night for me. But in in these ministry in these ministry trips with with Randy with Global Awakening. You know, you're staying in the same hotel with with the the platform speakers, and, and so that night in the lobby of the hotel, I was able to ask Rodney Hoga a question about, well, where does adoption fit in? You know, um, to 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 this, and he says, well, in, in adoption, you you break the curse both of the adoptive the adoptive family and the birth family, and that they get double the inheritance, the adoptive. Family's inheritance and the birth family's inheritance. Interesting. And and when he said that, I remember was that why it's in there twice? We're we're we're, we're, we're you know, we inherit from God and co-heirs with Christ. I don't. Interesting. Know. But but yeah. 
but he he said you know so so that night you know I'd already you know part of our night that night we had broke the curses of the generations and the called forth the blessing within my family for my daughter but then that night I I spent additional time doing that uh for her her birth family as well mm. and uh and it was um you know, and, and what's interesting, I, should, I, don't know, I guess I'll tell this. Uh, she won't see this. Because <laughs> what's interesting, when I called forth the blessing from her birth family, mm-hmm. the word creativity just came to me. And, and I really felt that that was what was being called forward from her, her, her birth family. And, and um, when I got back into the U.S. and was sharing this with her, and I mentioned that to her, when I, when I mentioned that word creativity to her, she got really quiet. We were in the car. She got really quiet. And then she's like, wow, I just, I just felt this, this electricity tingle over me when you said that word. And, and um, you know, she is, you know, she's already written her own original song, and she just performed it. Uh, I don't in, think you've said her name yet. Uh, is, her name's Janae. Okay. Yeah, and uh, she performed, she, she performs under Janae May. <laughs> Because <laughs> her her middle name is Maylin, uh, but uh, uh, which is a Chinese name that we gave her. Uh, but anyway, um, she uh, 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 you know she does have this very artistic and and creative side, and and uh, she definitely didn't get it from me. So I know you know I just I just feel that that's the blessing that she's called for. It's been called forward from her her birth family for her. Yeah. You know? I mean, we'd love to know more information about her birth family, but you know that's not possible probably with the way things are with you know but there could be hope i know a lot of korean adoptive persons in the 70s and 80s thought that they wouldn't find out any information about their birth families either for similar reasons and now you know things have opened up and families that gave children over to adoption are actually starting to reach out through websites and things and cool you know so maybe we'd love that for another I know there's a lot more we yeah. could talk oh, yeah. about. You've had a storied <laughs> life, but I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, I, it's, it's interesting. I did not start, I mean, I've had several guests on now and I've interviewed local pastors as well. Yeah. A lot of, um, charismatics. Um, I, I didn't know Kira was big on that. Rudy, I sort of did. Um, anyway, it's apparently something that God's just put in my, I, I didn't know that about you before today. Yeah. So, um, thanks for, you know, it's something I grew, outside, grew up outside of. I'm, I'm probably, I don't know. I don't think tongues have ceased. I, I I'm not a cessationist, yeah. but also it's just something that, uh, you know, I prayed for, but I've never all, I've never been rooted in a community that has that. And uh, I come from a family where uh, adoption hasn't been. You know, th- these are things that are foreign to me, but I've been very drawn to in different ways. And I just think this is part of God instructing me. So thank you for, for that. And I, I hope other people get a yeah. blessing from this as well. Um, thank I'd like you for to, the opportunity for, to give my testimony. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. was the part I was looking forward to that first part. I was <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's how most people are. Yeah. So I do hope that, that, you know, I, I can't do, I thought about it whenever I realized this needed to be yeah. two portions. I thought, Maybe I should just do one or the other. And for me, they're just so integrally, yeah. integrally, integrally connected. Yeah. To have a living faith that is not that doesn't have implications for how we participate in larger bodies, yeah. I just don't understand that. So, so anyway, I'm not perfect. Uh, I'm going on to perfection, <laughs> and I, do I you expect to reach it in this lifetime. I actually do. I, 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 the grand depositum <laughs> of the Wesleyan tradition. I do confess. So, um, anyway, we need to wrap up, but. Uh, I'd like to wrap up with just um, 
thanking God for you. So let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for Brian and uh, for Gail and uh, for his uh, his daughter. Maylin was the middle name. Janae is the first name. Uh, God bless her. Uh, You've already been so good to their family. And um, they've had a time of mourning and sadness and disappointment. But, Father, you've given them a a season of broken curses and um, magnified blessings. Father, I want to thank you for Brian's uh, contribution to the annual conference in which I proudly and gladly serve. uh, For his witness of the the power and witness and love of the Holy Spirit. I want to thank you for his pastor that set him on that path so long ago. Um, and for the other people that have supported him and challenged him along the way. Father, we want to lift up uh, the Methodist ministry at OCU and pray that you would um, help them to, to bring about awareness of, of multiple traditions, mm-hmm. um, including and especially the charismatic tradition, and that whatever you're doing in Methodism, Father, that you would um, bring it into alignment with a, a holistic biblical faith, that uh, there would be many children, including mine, that uh, do not grow up alienated as, as I did from uh, these giftings of your Holy Spirit, but might be, um, uh, Father, we know the, the main thing is love, but we also know that your, your Holy Spirit is living and active and doing things. And we just pray that um, Methodism would be a part of, of raising uh, people's eyes to what you were doing and who you are and, and who your Spirit is and who he's calling us to be. Uh, Father, we want to ask your blessing upon anyone who spent their time with us today. Um, just pray that that they would receive some clarity about um, who you are and what a biblical faith looks like today. And Father, we, we want to pray in particular for any anyone who watches that is um, not able to have children on their own and just that you would connect them to you through this holy act of adoption and that you would give them the strength and the resources that they need to be a father or mother to the fatherless. We ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. I am to do these every week. If uh, you've been blessed by this, I would just ask that you promote it to other people that you think would be blessed by it and um, take what you've learned here and apply it to your life. That's just that's the whole thing we're doing here. So God bless you for spending time with me.